Christ Jesus, that every small attempt we make to lift up the name of Jesus, you are pleased with. And that was our attempt, Lord God, to, to sing our praise at the beginning and to sing in words that you've already told us that we are loved, we are chosen, we are forgiven, we are redeemed, we are greatly loved, we are highly esteemed. Thank you Lord that there are songs written that say those things and though the music we may not recognise nonetheless those words are your words and we sing them back to you and it gives us joy to do it. So I thank you Lord, I thank you for fellowship, I thank you for this place, I thank you that um, it's really been possible to have good fellowship here. And I ask now, Lord, as we go into the afternoon, that you will continue to keep us awake, Father, as we go in and, and concentrating and um, help us to see more of what it means to be highly esteemed by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, we finished this morning with God providing the ram to take the place of Isaac. And we saw that that was uh, Abraham worshipping God as he listened to the command of God and he went out in loving obedience and placing his trust and his confidence in God and that's what God promises he always fulfills. That's what Abraham was sure of and that's true worship as God defines it. Jesus defined true worship in John chapter 4 and we don't have to hunt around thinking what is that. We don't have to ask people's opinions. Jesus told us what true worship is. Um, and he said it's worship in spirit and in truth. And the word spirit means the whole man. It means your reason, your, your mind, your, your emotion and your will all coming together uh, in your response to what God has told you. And actually, uh, in um, John chapter 8, Jesus will say that when Abraham was worshipping, in Genesis 22, uh, Abraham makes a point of saying, we will worship and come back to you. Um, so he was going to worship God and Jesus gives us even more clarity in John chapter 8 verse 56 and he says your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad so this account in Genesis 22 of Abraham offering Isaac as the re uh, loving obedient response to God's uh, instruction and as his demonstration that he trusted God um, that was actually Abraham worshipping Christ. That was Abraham worshipping um, Jesus. And, um, and what we see is that real worship not only um, glorifies God the Father, it also glorifies God the Son. So true worship glorifies Jesus. And, um, and in that account in Genesis, what you see is that those two people, Abraham and Isaac, both revealed Jesus Christ to us. Um, we're not going to spend very much longer in Genesis 22, but just to see this, because it's really important. Genesis 22 is an amazing chapter, and, and I would say to you, go back and read it over and keep reading it, because there are so many things to be seen in this chapter. Um, but one of them, the things uh, we talked about this morning is the fact that love, worship and obedience are used first in this chapter, but also that this, um, these people and what they did um, reveal Christ to us, um, uh, what you see is a picture of uh, the Father and the Son and the cross. You see it in, um, in Genesis 22. And it's, and it's one of the most beautiful pictures in the whole of the Old Testament about Jesus. Um, in Isaac's miraculous birth, um, just a few chapters before this, you see the birth of Christ. In this chapter you see the sacrifice of Christ 
his death on a cross. You see the picture of it. And in chapter 24, which we, ha we won't read and haven't seen, um, you see Isaac's marriage, which is Christ coming back for the church. So you see um, in, in Abraham's life and in all these things that he was asked to do, he was picturing Christ. Now that's true of everything that God asks us to do. Everything that he asks us to do as we go through the tests of life, he is showing a picture of Jesus through you. I mean, that's really hard to lay hold of, isn't it, and hold on to. But in every situation in your life, when you choose to lovingly obey God, that is worship and that reveals Christ Jesus. It reveals the truth about him. It reveals that you believe the gospel. It reveals that you are being made holy. It reveals the truth of all that God has promised in Jesus and it shows that that is happening in you. And that's what God promised. He promised that he would transform you. And as you obey, you show that transformation. And that vindicates God's choice and it vindicates the reality of Christ. Because we live in a world that can't see, they can't see Jesus. They can't touch him, they can't hear him. And there are so many other gods vying for attention. You know, gods of self and gods of um, booze and gods of drunk, drink and gods of, you know, other religions and all these other things that are constantly bombarding us. Um, people see Christ in you and you reveal the truth of the gospel to them. Because the gospel isn't just that God would save you from an end that you don't want. The gospel message includes the fact that he will transform you and that that, transform, that transformation will be seen. And that too is a witness to the reality of Christ. And that's what you see in this chapter. You see various things about Jesus and his uh, atoning death for us. And you see it played out in Abraham and Isaac. For example, the father and the son acted together. Abraham was told to sacrifice his son, but Isaac had to go with him. So you see that the father and the son, that Isaac loved his father and that Abraham loved his son. And in there you see the picture of God so loving the world that he was willing to give his only begotten son. And we talk a lot about the love of God the Father for us and the love of God the Son for us, but we forget sometimes they really loved each other. They really loved each other. And they loved each other and chose together to do this for us. So God, um, uh, uh, God will say when Jesus... Uh, goes through the waters of baptism with John the Baptist. This is my beloved son, in him I am well pleased, in Matthew 4. Um, on Mount Moriah, when this, this happens in Genesis 22, what is demonstrated for us is particularly the Father's love for us. And uh, Isaac demonstrates Christ's love for his father. The son had to die. He had to die. And in Genesis 22, what you see is Isaac is willing to obey his father. He's willing. Abraham carried the knife and the torch, both of them instruments of death, and the knife would end Isaac's life and the fire would burn, burn his body on the altar. And in Isaac's case, a substitute was made for him. But this is just a picture 
and there was no substitute for Christ. So it looked to all intents and purposes to Abraham that Isaac had to die. But at the last moment, God prepared a sacrifice, substitute for him. But there was no substitute for Jesus. There could be no substitute for him. So he actually went through with the plan and purpose of his father. <coughs> God provided the ram to take the place of Isaac. But actually, if you look carefully at Genesis 22, Isaac said, where is the lamb? Not where is the ram. Where is the lamb? And the answer is told to us not until John chapter, uh, chapter 1, when John the Baptist will say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So all of these things, they're all little pictures, all little pictures, and every detail of your life, that's what I want to try and say. This is a picture, a big picture of Jesus and his death and his uh, resurrection, his coming back to life. But this is a picture of that and also a picture of us. Do you know, every time you surrender to the Lord Jesus, every time you surrender part of your life, you are picturing the surrender of Christ. You are showing the reality of it. Because why are you surrendering? If God asks you to surrender anything, why are you surrendering? Because you love him. Why did Christ actually go to his death? Because he loved God. He loved God the Father. Yes, they love us. Together they love us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But it was because Jesus loved his Father that he went to the cross. In, in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 24, I think it is, you hear of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and three times praying, Lord, if it is possible, Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. Three times, and then the third time, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Why? Because Jesus loved his Father. Every time you surrender, or you, there is an act of obedience because of love for God, you picture Christ. You reveal something else about Jesus. And then the son was raised from the dead, Isaac literally didn't have to die, but it was like he died. He had been willing to die. And he was raised. And, um, and uh, it's interesting, actually, that in this chapter, Abraham goes back with the two servants, but there's no mention of Isaac going back in the rest of the chapter. In fact, you don't hear Isaac's name again until chapter 24. Of course, he went back with his father. I'm not suggesting he didn't. But you don't hear about him going back. What you hear at the end of chapter 22 is the name of Isaac's wife, Rebecca. So there in that, you have the end, you have Isaac, the picture of Christ, being willing to surrender his life as a sacrifice because he loved his father. And then you see who will be his wife at the end of that chapter, Rebecca. It's all little pictures. So... As you worship God with your obedience, you're showing, um, you're showing Jesus and you're, you're showing the truth of, um, of God. Um, okay. Can we go to... Um, well, actually, let's just at the end of the chapter, what does, uh, what does Abraham come away with from this trial, do you think? 
I have to talk, you have to answer a lot this, this session because it's like the graveyard shift. So, <laughs> you know, um, everybody wants to fall asleep because you've eaten. So, um, what do you think Abraham's overwhelming thing at the end of this was? His overwhelming feeling, his understanding, what do you think it was? Gratitude, yeah. Rejoicing, yeah. God is faithful, the faithfulness of God, yeah. Let's get up and go on from here, yeah. See, look at Genesis 22, verse 16 to 18. Uh, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, that's descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. These are not new promises. God has promised this to Abraham from from Genesis chapter um, 11, 12. These are promises that Abraham has heard before. So why does God reiterate them? He wants to make a connection between his obedience and then... Yes, yeah, yeah. But what do you think God's doing? You see, what you see in Genesis is you see... Uh, God telling Abraham to do something, Abraham not understanding why or what or anything else, but <coughs> knowing that God keeps his promises. So he, keep, he does what God has asked him to do. And then God comes back to him and says, now, because you've done this, this is what I'm going to do. And it's like, you could be Abraham saying, yeah, but I already knew that. Just affirming it. It's affirming it. It's confirming it. And what do you think, that, what result does that have in Abraham? It builds his faith. It builds his faith because God is constantly reaffirming through these tests and trials what Abraham already knew. But you learn a thing in a new dimension when you learn it by doing something that was difficult and hard. See, you learn much more about the grace of God when you need it for your very life than you would if you just opened your Bible into 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and heard, my grace is sufficient for you. See, you can know that truth on one level, but until you need the grace, you don't know it by experience. Abraham knew by experience that God's promises would be fulfilled. And if he knew that, what do you think would happen in him? So he knew now by experience that God's promise would be fulfilled. What else is happening? What do you think has happened in Abraham? His faith has increased and his courage. Apart from his faith, what else has increased? His love for God has grown. His love for God. His love for God has grown. How do you know that's true? (laughs) It doesn't actually say it. No, Kim, I wish it did. That would be a nice, neat answer. It doesn't say that. (laughs) But you know that Abraham went on in his life, if you read on from Genesis 22, you read on that Abraham didn't face any more tests. There was nothing more for Abraham to go through. At least it's not recorded for us. Abraham went on with God and things remained fairly calm in his life. Abraham had learned all that God wanted to teach him. Could you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14, please? Because Jesus talks about this deeper kind of love that I think Abraham had for God. And he talks about it in John 14, 
verse 21 to 24. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. Um, there is a deeper kind of love for God and from God that you experience, that we experience as we obey him. As we willingly trust him. And when I talk about obedience, I want to be really sure we understand this is not keeping rules. This is loving obedience. This is a willingness to do what God calls us to do, not because we have to, but because we want to in the end, because we trust his love. And it comes only as you experience deep these trials in your life. You can't get it any other way. You can't know this great love of God until you experience it. You can't really know the great forgiveness and mercy that he has for you until you've seen the depth of your sin. You can't really see the value of his redemption and how much Jesus gave for you until you see that you were enslaved to yourself and to sin. And that's why you see so many people who call themselves Christians with no great love for God because they haven't really seen the depth of their sin. You see, David in the Old Testament, he constantly prayed, examine me. Search me, O God. Show me who I am. See, we just sit, sang that song, I am who you say I am. I'm forgiven. I'm redeemed. I am filled with his grace. I have hope. I am all of those wonderful things. But at the same time as I know those, I experience them on a real personal level as I understand my great need for him. And I experience my great need for him when I see the reality of who I am. I am nothing without God. I am lost without God. I am the worst of sinners without God. There is nothing, no sin, that I have not committed, either physically or in my mind. There is no sin you could tell me about that I have not done. And until I see that clearly for what it is and accept and understand this is who I am, I will never truly understand the forgiveness that is for me in Christ Jesus. You won't. You won't. So it's like this paradox going on that I don't want to know my sin because I know enough of it already and I, I don't like what I know. But the more I know of it, the more I will see this great love that God has for me that is not contingent on my own my behaviour. Because he loved me, we sang the words, when I was a sinner, when I was an enemy of God, when I was um, separated from him, Romans chapter 5, Christ died for me. 
when I had no way of getting to God, Christ died for me. At my worst moment, at the very worst thing I've ever done or thought or said, Christ died then for me. And until I see the very worst that I have said or thought or done, I will never understand how much it took for him to die and how precious, how precious we are to God. We should be asking the Lord, I hate that word should, why not ask the word, ask the Lord, show me more of who I really am so that I can understand more of who you are and how now I am a new creation because they go together. I was this, I'm now that. But I only understand the fullness of this because I know what that was like. Do you see what I mean? It's, and it, the two have to be together. We live in a world that wants to shield everybody from anything bad about themselves and it's all got to be accepted and, oh yes, that's fine and we've got to tolerate this and that's, that's all okay. And we are taking people further and further and further from God because until they recognise their sin, they cannot understand their need of a saviour. Until they, until they see how far they are from God, they'll never think they need to turn around. Yesterday, my daughter's mother-in-law's sister, she died. She was maybe 60. She had massive cancer tumours all over her body, but she died of a stroke. She didn't know the Lord. And, and all of the time, what we're being faced with is a society that says, oh yeah, no, that's okay. You know, they'll come, they'll come. Don't worry about it. Don't tell them. Don't tell them anything horrible about themselves. Don't tell them that life is short, that life is fleeting, that everything goes in the end, that if you don't turn to Christ in this short time, you will not ever be able to be with the Lord God. And it's gone like that, like that. No one wants to say anything bad. No one wants to say anything upsetting. No one wants to say anything that might actually pierce through to the heart in case we actually hurt someone. But until we're hurt, we won't recognise our need for the healer. I know you know this. But it's like we have to keep telling ourselves this because we can be so easily deceived into thinking, it's okay, it's okay. All roads lead to Rome. It's okay. They've got faith. We've all got faith. It's only important that we've got faith. It doesn't matter what our faith's in. But this word tells me it matters who my faith is in. It matters. It matters that I know I'm a sinner. It matters that you know you're a sinner, saved by grace. It matters that you know that God loved this world so much that he sent his only begotten son. And it matters that you have to turn around, repent, you have to change your mind, you have to hold on to his hand and ask him to forgive you. It matters. It matters. Because life is really short. Abraham worshipped God. He lovingly obeyed him and he did something that I'm sure if you'd said to Abraham five years before this, would you be able to do that? Abraham would have said, no, there is no way I can take Isaac. If God asked me to do that, I'll never be able to do it. So simply in the doing of it, God demonstrated his grace was sufficient. Even in the doing, his grace is always sufficient. 
But Abraham knew it because he did. And what Isaac did and Abraham did is, well, particularly Isaac, Isaac did what Paul calls us to do in the New Testament. I was having a conversation with Mike and talking about how days like this goes and how I think God is in the, in the Bible and how definitely Paul writes, you see it clearly in Paul's writing. You know, if uh, Ephesians, for example, is a six-chapter book and the first three chapters are full of such wonderful stuff, you can't put it down. And then the next three chapters are all about what you do now in response to that. And in Romans, same thing. The first 11 chapters are just full of the wonder and the mercy and the grace of God. And then chapter 12 goes, bump. Therefore, therefore, my brethren, in view of all this, present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your reasonable service of worship. Because always with God there is a response. Not because he needs it, but because it shows that you understand who he is and what he's done. So this is after lunch. You had this morning, we had all that great stuff. And for some of you, I know you know all that stuff and you just thought, really, did I come today to listen? I know this stuff. But all of that was to set up this have you presented your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God? Have you done that? Because that's your reasonable service of worship. Yeah. <coughs> Paul leaves you in no doubt. He says, he says, therefore, it's the first word, therefore, because of all this, do this. And he makes it really quite clear, actually, because he describes it in process. And he says, first of all, you give God your body. What does that mean? Romans, Romans 12. You give God your body. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I think he says, my beloved brethren, in view of God's mercies, present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your reasonable service or your spiritual service. That word spiritual means reasonable. Uh, service of worship, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So first, you give God your body. What does that mean? You know, go ahead, no, go ahead. Yeah, right, it is. So denying self, but actually practically, how would that look? If you give God your body, what will that look like? Yes, yeah. Hey, Obedience, yes, yes, but that can be a mental obedience, can't it? I'm, we're literally breaking, okay, his, your body. What will it look like if you present your body a living sacrifice? Because he's going to go on in verse 2 and say, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he's talking about body now, and then he's going to talk about mind. Yes, 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 that's wonderfully spiritual and sounds very biblical. <laughs> it's lovely. It really is lovely, Mike. But what does it mean? Uh, Good, yeah. But so let's take your body first of all. Okay, what do you do with your body? There you go. There you go. There you go. There you go. If you drink too much, which part of you drinks too much? 
your body, your mouth. If you listen to stuff that you shouldn't listen to, that's your ears. If you watch stuff on the TV that you shouldn't watch, that's your eyes. If you gossip, that's your tongue. If, I know it comes from your heart, a lot of that stuff, but it's your physical body that does those things. If you go to places you shouldn't go, that's your body that goes there. Present your body a living sacrifice. What does that mean then? Yeah, no, not, you're too far ahead, Sheila. It's good, but you're too far. It's not, it's on the next page. <laughs> so, your body, present your body. What are you prone? What are you tempted with in your body? It's the flesh of your, it's your nature, your kind of, it's part of it anyway, it's part of it. What do you do with your body? <laughs> huh? Yeah, you feed it. Well, let's just take the world. You, you're all so good, you don't do anything bad with your bodies. Okay, so let's just take the, the general public at large. What do they do with their bodies? They yeah. sleep around. They sleep around. Abuse they abuse them. They live inside it. Huh? Yes, they live inside it. But what I'm trying to get at is, David, what, do you, what does he mean when, when you say present your body? Yes, it's a living sacrifice. And yes, we know what that means in spiritual or scriptural terms. We think we know what it means, but what will that look like in a human life? It means if you are not married, you don't sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend. You don't have sex because you have sex with your body and you don't do that. You just don't do it. And it's not, well, yeah, but, you know, I really love him and he really loves me. Yeah, okay, get married. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to simplify it too much because I know that there are all sorts of situations and all sorts of relationships and all sorts of things going on, but this verse is very clear. Present your body a living sacrifice. That means you surrender it to God and you, of course, have to get back off the altar because you've got to live. So this is every day. You do it once and then you live in the truth of it. So you present your body. That means you don't get drunk. You don't get drunk. I mean, it's a clear thing. Why would you get drunk? Because that's not presenting your body a living sacrifice. Why would you sleep around? Why would you get drunk? Why would you take drugs? Because that's all physical damage to something. And that is what God has told you to, to present to him. Do you see what I mean? So be practical. I don't know what you're, you're, you know. Think about pornography. Pornography. I mean, inside the church, something like 75%, I think it is, of men watch pornography. Christians. Christian men. I mean, it's almost unthinkable. And, and that is like, totally, you don't need to ask, is that right? No, it's not. It's not right. Don't do it. <coughs> don't listen to stuff that defames the name of Jesus. It's not right. Don't watch stuff that glorifies violence. It's not right. Don't watch horror movies that glorify Satan. It's not right. Don't do those things with your body. Why not? Hmm. But yeah, no. But get even more specific. Because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Because God lives in you. And it matters what you do with your body because he does it with you. He does it with you. I mean, it matters. <coughs> First Corinthians chapter 6, 9. I was going to say, it's all for our own good anyway. All of these things oh, yeah. are prescriptive things. But God knows 
because you want the very best. Absolutely. But we still do them, Kate. So it's like this is your reasonable service of worship. That's why he says this is just like reasonable. This isn't something stupendous. This is not like the oh, you're such a saintly, wonderful spiritual Christian because you did that. This is just like normal stuff. This isn't anything spectacular. This is what God expects from everybody who knows about Jesus and has received Jesus. Present your body a living sacrifice. Whatever you used to do for your own pleasure or your own purpose, stop doing. Stop doing. Okay. When he got off the, off the altar, Isaac was a living sacrifice. Um, the word present, present your body a living sacrifice, what do you think that means? Yeah. Yeah. But when do you when do you do it and how often do you do it? Okay, well in the Greek it's written as a one time decision. It's a one time act. Present your body a living sacrifice. Okay, so that's the dying to yourself physically. Die to yourself. How are you gonna do that? No, but so what are you gonna do actually to do that? Yeah, yeah. I really want to be practical because these things, we talk about them so much, but who knows how to do them? You're struggling to tell me how to do it. How do you do that? Once for all sacrifice, how do you do it? You say to God right now or wherever it is, go home tonight and say to God, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it. And I'm going to trust that if you've brought me to this point, you're going to enable me to do it tomorrow and the next day. You see, even in that, even in your surrender, what you're saying to God is, I can't do this, but I know you can. I know that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, including my surrender. I know that nothing's impossible for you, even me. I'm not impossible to God. See what I mean? And so you make that one-time surrender, and if you have to, write it on your kitchen wall, your dining room wall, wherever it is, write it on your bedroom wall, I have surrendered my body to God. And then when you wake up in the morning, look at the wall. Look at what you've said. And pray, God, help me to do that today. Help me to live out the truth of that today. How easy do you think that will be? Yeah, hard without God's help, Kim said. But, hey, hard with God's help too, very hard, even with God's help, yes. It's only hard because of the depth of our sin, actually, and our rebellious will. But, um, yeah, so, what did I say? Oh, yeah, what did I say? How hard is it going to be? Yeah, it's going to be very hard. So what are you going to have to do? Pray. Pray. You're going to have to pray a lot. And then what else are you going to have to do? Take some action. Yeah? Scriptures. So you might have to do something. To stop doing something, you might have to actually do something else. Yeah. Yes, you might have to do something else or get rid of something. Okay, so just think about this in sort of whole terms. You're going to pray. What else are you going to do? You're going to read the word because there you know God's going to speak to you. And what else are you going to do? The third thing. Practice. You're going to keep away from people who do the same thing, which means you're going to stick with people who... 
you're going to fellowship with other Christians. Oh my goodness, what a surprise. They are the three things that God tells us to do in the Bible. Read the Bible, pray, and fellowship with other Christians. How will you present your body a living sacrifice? You'll make a one-time decision, and then you'll do that. And some days it will be really difficult, and other days it won't. And as you go on, you'll find after a year or two years, well, I'm not the same as I was then. I don't quite know how that happened, but it did. And I'm in a different place. You see, what is the promise of God to you? What's the promise of God? Yeah, they're all wonderful promises, but they're not my promise. What's my promise? What is... He'll complete what he began in you. That's a really good one. And he has promised that you will be holy and blameless before him. He has promised. So you can be sure. You put your toe in that water, he will pull you in by the leg. You give him one inch of obedience and he will take the whole of you and bring it to completion. Because God will always do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything that you ask or think. Give him your body. Okay, what's the second thing that you do? According to Romans 12, verse 2. Yeah, but... Renew your mind. You give him your mind. You give him your mind. How do you give him your mind? Yeah, you focus on the things that God wants you to focus on, on his word and on his will. Yeah, and? I know it's hard, hang in. Hey? Pray, yeah. So, can you tell me what you do? When you give your God your mind, what do you do? You look at the word, because that's where you know it is. You focus on that and on his will, and you pray. Oh my goodness, what a shock. You pray and you read the word, and that is the way that you give him your mind. And what don't you do with your mind? Hmm? <laughs> There's someone who knows. Oh my goodness, Rosemary, that is a definite confession in front of us all. <laughs> You don't read trashy comics, yeah, exactly, exactly. You don't do that stuff. You just don't do it, you know. And when you're tempted to do it, you stop. (laughs) All together. Well, you can watch the football. I think that's still all right. And Wimbledon. Say that again, Maureen. TBN. TBN. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm. Okay. Well. We'll see, yeah. <laughs> I'm only kidding. You get together with other Christians, you get together with people who are like-minded, and you, you talk about the Lord, and you, you and I don't mean just endlessly talking, oh, Jesus, 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 because, I, I mean, that's ridiculous. But I mean you talk about things, you fix your eyes on whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are good. Think on these things. You know, just, just start to pull your mind out of the mud. 
and put it up where it should be, where you are actually, in your spirit, mm. with Jesus. Mm. Oh, mm. There you go, there you go. Yeah, there you go. So you need to know the truth to do that. Laura said you don't let the enemy take any space in your mind. Yes. 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 Um, I don't know about you. I've watched movies in the past um, before I was a Christian and since I was a Christian that I knew I shouldn't be watching since I was a Christian. Before I was a Christian, it didn't didn't matter. But and there are certain movies that I watched that I still can't get out of my head. There are some movies that I watched that they're there because that's what happens. What you take in with your eyes and your ears, that gets printed on your mind. And the only way for me to get rid of those thoughts and pictures is to praise God with his word. It's the only way. Would you add to the list um, worship? Definitely. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. In fact, I, um, that's what I tell my grandchildren to do. You know, if you get scared or anything happens, you just start singing the songs about Jesus that you know, praising him. So, yeah, definitely. Thank you, Nick. Yeah. So, um, you give him your mind. You don't let, him t- let the enemy take any, any part of it. And as you do that, what does God do? According to Romans 12. Yeah, according to Romans 12, what does he do? What's the word? He transforms us. The word transforms is actually transfigured. So exactly the same word is used here as was used for Jesus on the mountain. You know when he went up to the top of the mountain and he was transfigured in front of them and and he he was just bright, brilliant white in front of them and they saw Moses and Elijah standing there and Peter wanted to build tabernacles for them. That's the word. So as you give him your body, present your body a living sacrifice, Give him your mind. Start renewing your mind and not allowing the enemy. You are transfigured in the same way Christ was transfigured. That means you shine. You shine. Now, do you remember if we were started in Ephesians? Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8 says, You used to be darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Shine as children of light. How do you do that? By presenting your body a living sacrifice, by renewing your mind, um, using the word of God, singing, worship, praise songs, um, getting together with other Christians, praying. And then uh, in the same verse, verse 2 of Romans chapter 12, just before we finish and have a cup of coffee, uh, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what... The will of God is that which is pleasing and, and perfect. Because, and so what will you end up doing? His will, not yours. You've presented your body. You've renewed your mind. You've found out what the will of God is. And lo and behold, you find in yourself a desire to do the will of God. You didn't start off with that. If somebody had come to you and said, okay, this is the will of God for you. Now you've got to go and do this, this and this. You'd have said, no, I don't want to do that. That's too hard. So what he's doing is saying, okay, do this in stages. Let's take the first bit. What do you usually... Do you watch too much on the TV that you shouldn't watch? 
I told you about me and my drinking. So drinking for 10 years, too much, too often. I had to give him my body. I had to give him that. I had to give him that. And I did. And, and what happens when you do that is you start to find time now for your mind. Because while I was drinking too much too often... Exactly. There speaks someone who knows. <laughs> I didn't know which way was up. I didn't have a lot of time for the rest of my mind. I mean, I did, but I didn't. And it was always clouded by. So then you start to renew your mind. You've got time to put the reality of your mind in. It's like Laura said, don't give the enemy an opportunity. Don't give him space. I was giving him space for 10 years. Now, I'm only saying that, and I've said it so many times, you must be bored of hearing it, but I'm only saying it because there'll be someone here who is giving the enemy space by doing something with your body that you know you shouldn't do. That's not good for you as far as God's concerned. So I'm telling you from personal experience, make the choice to do what God says and you will be amazed. You will be absolutely amazed at how easy that is. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. Go back to pea brains and sheep. Yeah. So we've presented our body, we've renewed our mind, we've given him how our will, that is the surrender. And uh, think about it your mind controls your body, and your will controls your mind. Your mind controls your body, and your will controls your mind. Many, think, many people think that they can kind of control everything by willpower. But if you've ever been in any sort of addiction, you know you can't. You can't. Could you repeat that? Your mind controls your body, and your will controls your mind. Your mind is a computer. You just put everything in. Everything goes in. And what goes in comes out through your body, through your behaviour, through your speech, through everything. So it just comes out of your body. But your will is what determines which part of your mind you'll listen to. Isn't it? Okay, so if you put the word of God into your mind and then you get the enemy or your own flesh coming with something else, now you've got choice. You didn't have choice before because you hadn't got the word of God in there. Now you've got choice. So now it comes down to your will. Will you do it? Will you do what God wants? Yeah. But Paul calls this, and make no mistake, he's talking about body, mind, and your will. He calls that your reasonable service of worship. It's just what Christians do. It's a once-for-all act of worship, and it's a daily act of worship. Why would you do any of that? Because you want a piece of cake and a cup of tea? Do you want me to finish? I'm not finished until after tea. Why would you do any of that? Because you love God. Because you really do start to believe that he loves you with the sort of love that will enable you to do what he's calling you to do. And that he really will take you holy and blameless to heaven. And that you really will stand before him glorious 
and that he really will complete what he began in you and that you really are a witness to the work of Christ and that you really are a walking gospel message, that you really are that person. That's why you'll do it. Because as soon as you start to believe that that's possible, everything in you will want to do it. It's because you don't believe something about God that you're not already doing it. Honestly, that's the truth. If you believed the truth of God, you would already be doing this. So there's something you've misunderstood or something you haven't believed. Father, thank you. That, um, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for showing us so simply and so clearly how we do it. And Lord, now that we know how we do it, we need to have um, the desire in us to do it. And Lord, um, I want to pray, Father, for all of us here, that you would create that desire in us, Lord, that you would um, bring that about, that you would... Uh, Keep uh, putting the wood on the fire that's burning already in us so that it will just continue to burn and that we will want to be loving you this way, that we will really want to be going along with your work in us because we really believe that what you have said you will do, you really will do. So Lord, I thank you because it's so clear and you promise that you will do it. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, you tell us. For it is you who is at work within us to will and to act according to your good purpose. So, Father, we just... I don't know where everybody else is, but I know where I am, Lord God. And I say to you, whatever is necessary in my life, I pray that you would do whatever is necessary to show me more of your great love, that I might respond (coughs) in worship in every part of my life. For Jesus' name's sake. Amen.